Welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm here with Dr. Paul Rizkala, and we are your hosts for the That'll Preach podcast. And we've got a great show for you today. We're actually going to be talking about something very important, very relevant, and very controversial. And uh, that is the topic of abortion. And even that word, as soon as I said it, might have sent a chill down your spine because it may have reminded you of intense conversations you've had with family or friends, or it might remind you of political battles over this or how polarized our nation is. And it might have caused you to be like, oh, great, are we going to hear another Christian thing on abortion? Well, yeah, (laughs) you are. And uh, I think that this is one of those issues that Christians can't afford to be silent about and can't afford to be uh, unclear about because we're talking about one of the great moral evils of our time. And even when I say that, there's a sense of like, come on, Brian, that's 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 a little hyperbolic. It's a little. And I'm like, well, look, if these unborn children are human beings and they're being killed, that's not hyperbolic. That's a statement of reality. That's murder. Regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of whether that makes you feel uneasy in terms of how political that sounds, um, it's true, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's true. And I think something that we want to do on this podcast and is to, to really go, man, have our consciences been seared? Is being pro-life just like, well, Christians are supposed to be, and I don't want people to think I'm not a good Christian, or do we really recognize, wow, we're talking about the mass killing of hundreds of thousands of human beings. And the only reason we're not shocked by it is because it's been marketed so well as defending freedom or choice or liberty. And it happens somewhere off in the darkness apart from our eyes and our media. And we don't realize what's actually going on every single day. And I think part of the Christian conscience is to say, look, we need to actually grieve over real evils in the world beyond just abortion, but let's kind of start with the fact that this is happening. So I'll get off my soapbox there and go, Paul, what, what, why do you think it's important for Christians to talk about abortion? Well, I think like, like you pointed out earlier, I think there's been a, a massive marketing issue here and a branding issue and we talk about abortion in our culture. Um, we use language like pregnancy termination. We use the language of choice and protecting freedom and liberty and privacy. But at the bottom of the day, the harsh reality is that what's inside the woman's body is an unborn human. Um, not, not subhuman, not a potential human, but an unborn human, a human that has yet to arrive on the other side of the vaginal canal, but still a human nonetheless, right? Um, so part of, the, part of the difficulty is we, we look at what's inside the woman's body, we go, does it look human, looks tiny, it looks weird, it looks like it's utterly dependent. Um, why, why does a woman have an obligation to keep something alive with her body? All these sorts of things. But at the bottom of the day, the most important question in the abortion debate is, what is the status of the fetus? What is that thing inside the woman? And um, and a- a- only after we've answered that question um, can we move or make any progress in the abortion debate. Um, and so just it's- quite simply, if you assume that it's not permissible to intentionally take an innocent human life, 
Um, and if it's true, I think as we're going to show today that abortion is the intentional taking of an innocent human life, then you're left with the unsavory conclusion that abortion is just not permissible. It's not the sort of thing that we can do. And I think most people will agree with that if you show that actually that's what abortion rests on. It's It really is an argument of aesthetics mm. in the sense of when you think about what has been very effective in lowering the rate of abortions is having to having the mother listen to the heartbeat, mm-hmm. having increase ultrasound technology where you see it and you're like that's a person right that's a person i think that's effective and i think maybe christians are tired of viewing abortion as merely just logical arguments and and all these things and um but i i would still press and go why is it that we feel uneasy saying that it's evil or that it's murder what is it? What even now, if you're listening to this and you're just like, man, that's uncomfortable. Why is this a big deal? Why do you guys have to do a thing about this? Like, I feel those voices in my own head. And I think it's I've been conditioned by culture to to I to be like, well, I feel like I'm telling other people how to live their lives. I, I feel like I'm making a decision for other people. And I forget that if these are human lives, none of that matters. These are innocent human lives, and they deserve to be protected and to have dignity. And I feel like I am the product of a lot of desensitization to what's going on, that I don't feel that I have the amount of moral outrage or even just disgust at what's happening because it's been so sanitized in media and the way that it's marketed. But you just keep coming back to it. It's like, look, is it a human being? Is that fetus a living human being made in the image of God. And if so, they don't just, abortion isn't just, they just vanish, but they press a button and they vanish, or even you just take a pill and they vanish, right? This is an actual killing of a human being. And I think we have to be able to, without reactivity, without and being overwhelmed by emotions or anxiety about talking about this, be able to say, if that's what it is, that deserves our attention and that deserves justice. We need to take that seriously. And I'm saying this to myself as somebody who I think has fallen prey to the desensitization and the marketing of quote unquote pro-choice propaganda. An idea, and even to think sometimes you think, oh, pro life, it's all propaganda, you know. And it's like, it, well, it's propaganda if it's not true, but if it's true, then it's just speaking the truth about what's happening. Um, so you mentioned quickly, uh, briefly, you, you, you talked about sort of the argument for why it's immoral. And now, do we have, I mean, one thing I always think about is, is it clear scientifically? that a fetus is a human being? Is that something even science can answer? It, it, the, the question is, is partly scientific and partly philosophical. It, what, what even do we mean by human being? And then once we have a de- definition for that, we can you know, say, does the fetus belong to that category? But yeah, by any, by any plausible definition of human being, I mean, just, just take the, the following facts. Um, the zygote does not have the DNA of 
the mother, right? Or the father. Uh, once a zygote is formed, it's no longer, even thinking of a zygote as a fertilized egg is not the right way to think about it. It's not like you've got the mother's egg cell and something happens to the mother's egg cell and the mother's egg cell is just retaining um, its, its, its essence, but just changing slightly. No, you have something fundamentally qualitatively different when a zygote appears on the scene. And that's because there is this radically new, novel, uh, sui generis event that takes place. When a sperm and an egg unite, you have both of those individual components of a father and mother erase and, and disappear and something new arrives in their place, something with its own genetic code, um, something with its own body plan. And so the zygote is the human being at its, at its most initial stage, um, beginning its own process of self-development. And so it's, it's sort of a, it's definitely a mischaracterization to say that what we have inside the woman's body in the, in the, in the fetus is part of the woman's body. And so she can do with the fetus, whatever she wants. That's just, that's not true. And so there might be other arguments we can talk about with what obligations does a woman have in the case of a non-consensual, um, sexual incident, but just at bottom, what we have here is a new human being. And that I think is, is pretty plausible. Um, I don't think you have to go to any ridiculous, you know, mental gymnastics to defend that claim. And yeah. So then, I mean, if it's scientifically plausible, then what's the debate? Why are people, are people denying that? Are people saying, you know, we know it's a human being, but it's okay because they're not fully developed or what, 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 what is the reason that that alone isn't causing people to pause about this? Well, there, there are two, two broad arguments or strategies of arguments that people use to defend abortion. And one is just saying, well, whatever's inside the womb, that human entity is not a person because it lacks certain capacities. Um, it lacks the ability to, uh, it's not conscious, it's not aware, it is radically dependent on the mother, um, all these sorts of things. You, you, you can pick whatever capacity you want and say that's the most important one for, for personhood. And so uh, this, this move that says there's a difference between being a human and being a person is uh, one strategy that you often see in defense of abortion. And so you can say, yeah, like this, this thing we grant, it's biological human, but it's not, 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 doesn't have any rights, no worthy of protection. You're not doing anything wrong if you snuff out that life because of, you know, it lacks blank capacity. And I think that, uh, that, that sort of strategy is worrying, as we've seen in history, uh, to say that this, we acknowledge this thing over here is a person, but uh, because it has black skin, it's not, or we, we acknowledge the thing over here is a human, but because it has black skin, it's not a person. Or we acknowledge that this group of people here, because they lack these certain phenotypic features or traits, um, they're not as smart as we are. They may be cognitively disabled. And so we slowly can point to whatever capacities we find most you know, appealing to us and say, because this group lacks them, they're no longer persons. And we've used that historically to justify slavery, to justify genocide. Uh, this was the Nazi philosophy. This was the philosophy behind chattel slavery with African-Americans. And this is the same philosophy at play with uh, abortion today. We say what? we have this human, but the human doesn't have these capacities. And so we, we don't recognize it. 
Well, I mean, if it's so clearly a parallel to, you know, racism or or Nazism or something like that, then why are we doing it? Why are, are why are why humans are sinful? <laughs> well, I mean, I think about it, it's like, would you say that most scientists think that it's a human being? I'm not sure what the numbers are here, but I think what's what's interesting with the abortion question is most people have not thought through the issue. Um, mm. But like you said, a lot of it is just emotional or in the spirit of, well, we want to be there with women. We want to do whatever. They're sort of swept up in the cultural zeitgeist or the cultural moment. But I've noticed this even with students of mine who are very pro-choice. Um, all you need to do is just a few questions here and there, prod at some of their assumptions, and it quickly falls out. You say, well, the fetus is not conscious or not conscious. Well, neither are people in comas. Neither are you when you sleep, right? Like all, all these things, people have sort of reasons that they, they give to justify abortion that they've only thought of like sort of after the fact. That's not the real reason you support abortion. You, you've got a sort of maybe inarticulated, um, I, this, this is just what my side believes in because we don't want to be with the other side or it could be a whole host of emotional, political, poles and tendencies and tribal allegiances. But I think at bottom, um, it is the issue that you could ask the same thing with slavery in the US. How did millions of Americans stand by as we took literally millions of human beings and enslaved them and took away their rights and their self-determination? And we just, we, we, we were swept. You said they weren't, you said they weren't people. Yeah. 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 You said they weren't people, right? Because yeah. of superficial things like skin pigmentation, mm-hmm. you know? And we do the same thing with the unborn. And I, I think that that's, I can speak from my own experience because of the way it's sort of been pushed into your mind through the media and through shows and all this stuff. You're kind of like, no, it's a clump of cells, right? And you're like, I guess technically it's a person, but even that you're just like, you can feel yourself resisting the clear reality. If these are human beings, you're being slaughtered, not hundreds at a time, hundreds of thousands. Like that is unfathomable, but we feel this resistance to deny it or to say that this is just, you know, too polarizing. We shouldn't talk about it, all this stuff. And then you just, it's, but facts are annoying things where you're just like, no, you know what? If this is happening, there's something wrong with my moral compass. So when we think about college students, and you made the point that a lot of times they're pro-choice and they don't even really think about it. And, and we're not even just talking about maybe people who are vaguely religious, but just any you know college student, whatever they believe, um, that they that they have a, a sort of allegiance. They go, we just we we really want to distance ourselves from those fundamentalist Christian wackos, right? Um, or we really want to be seen as tolerant people. And the tolerant people and the non-fundamentalist wackos are pro-choice. And so we want to make sure that we ally with them. Or you could even be a Christian who goes, I'm pro-life, but I really don't want to be associated with them. So like, I'm going to like really just kind of tame that and just kind of be like, well, we don't really know. And I don't want to talk about this and it's your choice and I wouldn't do it. And it's, it's different ways. And I think it's, it's really rooted in fear of man. Right. And I think 
for all of our talk about wanting to stand up for justice, if you don't have a clear moral stand on this, everything else is just, I don't buy it. Because I think, you know, and it's interesting, there's a rise in atheists who are pro-life too. It, so it's not even just a necessarily a religious argument, but, but, but people who aren't expressing any faith are going, well, wait a minute, this is a human being, we got to deal with this. This is an injustice and we need to rectify it. One thing, what are one some thing that questions I, that, uh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Do you think one, one thing, what? One thing that I was really struck by just looking at pictures from the March of Life over the weekend or the March for Life over the weekend was just the sheer diversity, not just ethnic, but diversity in terms of the plurality of ideologies that were represented there. So there's a secular pro-life group. There were Democrats for life. There were uh, Latinos for life. There was a, a pro-Black pro-life group. There were all of these different groups of people that you often hear in the media, well, those, those are the people who are definitely pro-choice, right? Like African-Americans, Latinos, atheists, and it's painted as a, a white evangelical or a white Catholic issue. And that's just not the case. Um, and I did some digging into the March for Life organization. All of the organizational leaders are women. The president, the CEO, the CFO, mm. all the, it, it is a fundamentally female-led organization. And so you've got feminists for life, secular uh, pro-life, you've got the atheists for life, the Democrats for life. And it was just really heartening to see that this is not just a Christian issue. This is a issue of humanity. And we've got lots of allies in those corners that maybe we thought we didn't. And so that was just really, really encouraging. And I do think there's been a rise of people realizing, hey, this is a real issue that we've got to talk about. And again, like you said, it's even outside of religious connotations. And uh, it is sort of, again, it's a marketing thing. Like you, you think about, I remember there was this like one meme of like the founding, or, or, or a bunch, no, it's a bunch of old white guys and they're signing a bill against abortion. And it's like, well, that's all propaganda, right? It, it's all trying to, um, trying to uh, paint this as, as like an oppression narrative. When the irony is the only person who's really being oppressed is the, the child, is the baby, right? And um, I think that that it really, you know, and, and the more I think about it, the more it's just like, why do we let the pushback we get from culture get to us on this when it's so clearly an evil moral issue that you don't even have to be religious to see the fallacy of it? And I wonder if people really just don't think about it or don't want to think about it because if they thought about it, they'd have to take a stand on it. And if they took a stand on it, that would, that would cost them some social capital or cost them looking a certain way in front of their friends. And um, I think, I, think I that, get that. that. I mean, I get the is... pressure, but I think we got to call it what it is, you know? Um, and it, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's convicting even as I think about it, I'm just like, man, you know, are, are we really treating this with the severity that, that, that it deserves. Um, well, there are some common arguments for abortion, right? That you often hear. And maybe your students have, have talked about it or you've heard it. And I just wanted to talk about a few of them because I think one thing to remember to, is that um, these are real people, you know, women who've had abortions who regret it or women in hard situations who they feel like it's their only option. I mean, there are real contexts and ideas about this. 
and uh, and real things to consider. Um, but I think sometimes when you go, well, what about in this situation or this situation, this situation, it's obscuring the the argument, obscuring the reality of it. And oftentimes you hear this. Well, look, I don't want to talk about abortion. It's a really complicated issue. Mm. How would you respond to that if someone said? Paul, I don't, I, you know, I'm personally pro-life, but it's a complicated issue. Or I'm pro-choice, but I don't want to talk about it because it's a complicated issue. What, what would you, what would you say to that? Yeah, this one, this one comes up a lot. And at bottom, like you said, we need to think back to what exactly the fetus is, and if we have on our hands an unborn uh, human, and if this is an innocent human life, then it is not permissible to intentionally take it. Now, there might be some complicated issues with. Suppose we eradicate abortion, we make it illegal. Um, what should a pro-life society look like in terms of caring for single mothers, uh, adoption ease and adoption laws, safe havens, uh, things like that? Like that, that's all. That's all well and good, and those conversations need to happen. I think conservatives have not done a good job in the past pushing those sorts of things, but I think we need to be better on that to be more comprehensively pro-life. But but the actual issue of, of whether or not we should have abortion being legal in this country, that's not complicated. It's not any more complicated than whether or not we should have slavery in our country. Um, right. Two things than, can be true at the same time, right? Yeah. I mean, you could say it should be illegal. And if it's illegal, we're not off the hook. We need to make sure that there are ways to help these women. And, it, right. you know, it's a, it's a policy debate on whether that should be primarily state funded or religious organizations or whatever you could you could differ on that i think in good conscience but that shouldn't obscure the issue don't like don't obscure the it, it's sort of like saying you know um it, it's it's too complicated there's so many variables so like let's keep it legal right it's like well no <laughs> yeah. i mean just because it might be difficult to handle the consequences of making it illegal, not consequences, but the results, which would be good results. I mean, you'd be saving lives. We should have the conversation about incentivizing adoption. We should have the conversation about ways in which we can think about improving more than just saving the baby's life, but but helping the mothers and the families and, and thinking about what are the factors that are that are pushing, especially women of lower socioeconomic realms to abortion. But again, that should like that shouldn't hijack it to be like, okay, so let's just not talk about it. It's like, no, let's talk about it and let's go there and talk about policies. But first, let's get it clear in our minds that this should be illegal, right? Yeah. Um, now, tied to this is this idea that, well, okay, Paul, I'm pro-life. Yeah, I think it's wrong. But like, I think that um, we need to change hearts rather than the law. Right, like, like keep the law in place. Like, we don't want to get political. Christianity's not about being political. I don't want to be associated with sort of the, you know, the moral majority or the the religious right or all these. I don't want to be associated with that. I'd rather just change people's hearts and not really make this a legal type thing or not make this a social like. Don't march about it. Don't post about it. Don't talk about it. Just stay out of it and just change hearts. What would you say to that? Yeah, this is uh there's a great quote from MLK actually who said the law might not keep the white man from hating me, but it might keep the white man from lynching me. And here he was wow. talking about the importance of the law at restraining evil. So part of the law is we can acknowledge that we might not have a a totally pro-life culture yet or in the 1960s when America was divided, we didn't have a fully integrated or multicultural 
were fully a, a mindset that was appreciative of different cultures healthily uh, coexisting together. But the law went into effect first to prevent injustice, to carry out justice, to make sure human beings were not being oppressed and trampled on. And the funny thing that happened was people's hearts met up and changed. And so now we live in a culture where the law successfully shaped the culture. And so racism is one of the greatest social sins you can commit now. You get instantly canceled if you said anything even remotely racist. And I think part of that is, is due to in the 60s, there were laws that were put in place that really pissed people off, that really rubbed people the wrong way, that may have you know, driven businesses out of cities and made people riot and not want to do whatever, but it changed culture over a couple of generations. And I think we can say optimistically, um, maybe a little, a little bit of faith and hope that we get the laws on the books, we prevent injustice. And that, that is one of the foremost uh, justifications and roles for the law to prevent injustice, to carry out uh, justice and to protect those who are the most vulnerable. Like we don't, we don't put laws in place if everybody's able to defend themselves, right? We put laws in place to make sure those who don't have a voice and those who don't, who can't defend themselves, um, have adequate protection under the law. And so, one, yeah, we we can have laws that do that, and two, we can hope and have faith that the culture will change and that hearts will be changed as a result of the laws. So I, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's you know. The law should be there to make things that are evil not permissible and not attainable. And also, laws can help shape cultures of nations, and we've seen that happen before. That was a great uh, MK quote. I didn't, I didn't know that he said that, but it is a good point. Where it's almost like he's saying, "Look, um, I'm the one facing this injustice. You, you get to stay out there and go. Well, it doesn't affect me. Let's just see how it shakes out. Let's just, you know." win hearts and not change the law. And he's like, well, here's the deal. You can live your life, but if the law doesn't change, I'm not protected. And I think for the unborn, there's a similar logic where it's like, yeah, I mean, you can be fine, but these babies aren't. And if they're dying and they're being killed, we should stop that ASAP, right? And it's really not that complicated. Now, getting it done is complicated. And I don't know if it's realistic to think that Roe will be overturned. Um, and even if it is, like you said earlier, that's not the end of the battle, right? But um, I think something too that, that that makes this such a, I think part of the, the marketing of pro-choice is this sort of like, we just want what's best for the kid in a roundabout way. So you hear things like this, abortion prevents kids from growing up in harsh environments, right? Think about a kid who was, you know, he was unwanted and he grows up in a terrible home. He's in poverty, right? And, you know, you think about Planned Parenthood ads, which says she deserves to be a choice, right? She, she doesn't deserve to grow up an unwanted child in poverty. And the implication is it's actually a virtuous thing to abort your child because they should grow up being wanted. And uh, what, what, what would you say to that? What, where's the breakdown in that? Ultimately, you have to the person who's who's making that argument is saying, you're right, we should, it, it is virtuous to prevent this child from growing up in poverty, therefore we should kill her in the womb. That that is that is effectively what they're right. saying. Like we, we have to and acknowledge again, that that's what our language is saying. Like that's and don't paper over it. That that's this is how we have to we've got to be grown-ups about this because as soon as you said that, heart rates like, wait a minute, uh, uh, Paul, okay. I mean, I guess, yeah, tech no, wait a minute. 
let's try as our best to back up and go, is that statement true? Not is it politically this or that, not is it controversial, not does it make your family or your friends. First, just put all that aside. Is that a true statement that this child's going to grow up in poverty and unwanted, therefore we should kill them? Is it true or is it not? And I think we, I mean, and it's so difficult to have that, that discourse that's so emotionally loaded. But if we sit down and we go, that's logically, that is what we're saying, mm-hmm. right? The only way around that is to say, it's not a child. It's not a human being. But if you say it's a human being, that's it. That is what you're saying. That is what you're saying. And uh, it kind of, it's, it, I remember, I think one of the worst pro-life arguments is kind of the flip of this, where it's like, well, what if you killed the next Beethoven or the next mm. person? Who, or what if, what if that baby would have been, you know, a, a, be- a, a person who cures cancer? And I'm like, well, what if he would have had uh, Down syndrome? Right. Is then, then, then he has no worth in society, so you kill him? Which, mm. by the way, a large percentage of abortions are, are children with Down syndrome. And uh, you're basically saying it's just like, are, are, they, are their lives lesser? Do they not deserve to live, even if they never contribute in the way we think they should contribute? Are they worth any less than us? Do they not deserve the chance at life? Do they not deserve to, to live and grow up and, and, and have a family? I mean, and, and it's like, there's a kid being born in poverty. Does that mean he's not worth anything? That means his life is forfeit. And I think these are the questions we have to honestly ask ourselves before we allow sort of the emotions of it to override our minds. It's like, man, at the end of the day, is it? true is this just factual that this is what we're talking about i think yeah go ahead yeah we the 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 plain parenthood ad and the spirit that says um it's better to abort than to have this child grow up in poverty and grow up unwanted it is equivalent to looking at a four-year-old in poverty or, or or in a terrible household and saying it is better that you were dead right and it's telling everybody who grows up in a difficult situation that it would have been better had you never been born. It would have been better if your life had been taken from you before you had a chance to recognize it. And that is, it's 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 shuddering. And it, it's difficult to even say. And just thinking about it makes me like want to recoil. But again, I think part of part of what it is to to progress in these conversations is to not. Um, not be afraid to use the stark language like this this is this is effectively what those ads are saying and when we put it in that language it becomes very indefensible you just cannot defend that position because i think we all recognize no like we don't we don't think kids in poverty should have their lives taken from them that's not the solution to that the solutions are we need better families and we need uh lots of other things to help those kids do well in life but the solution is never let's take the life of an innocent human being that is flat out the absolutely wrong way to think about it and unthinkable from a Christian perspective. So there's that sort of way to spin it where we're really being compassionate toward the kid by taking their life in the womb. Right. Um, it's interesting that there's sort of, <laughs> she deserves to be a choice assumes it almost assumes that the fetus is a person. Right. There's yeah. sort of an implication there. Right. But here's another one. So if, if, if one of them is sort of this 
pseudo compassion, this sort of false compassion for, you know, the child. And there's also one that's, that's spun in a way where this is about, um, this is about, uh, an injustice towards women being rectified, right? That, that abortion is a way to, um, give women the same liberties that men enjoy. So, you know, a woman has to carry this child to term and have it and nurse it. And she doesn't get to leave like a guy does. And he can go off and do his career and forget about it completely. Right. And so abortion is kind of viewed in as a way of like, well, women can be equal to men in the sense that they can have the same choice, quote unquote, that, that men make. And as a result of that, you often hear things like men can't have an opinion about abortion. Right? It has nothing to do with you. It's not your body. Uh, it's an invasion of my privacy for you to make policies about my body. I have autonomy over this and you're taking away my agency. You're taking away my freedom of choice. That is my right to do with my body as I want. And you are just furthering an oppressive male dominance by your pro-life activism. What would you say to that? I think, I think there's a lot to be said. And one, one of the first things that comes to mind is this podcast could have been just as easily, if not better done, if if there were two females sitting here. There are tons of pro-life women who make these arguments. And when you look at the numbers in the US, uh, women all are only slightly more pro-choice than men, not not much. But there's, there's tons of pro-life women in the US. Like we said, the March for Life is organized primarily by women. Um, and another thing to say is that arguments don't have genders or sex. Like an right. argument is true regardless of who puts it forward, whether it's me, whether it's a woman. Um, let's look at the merits of the argument. From Like I, I could be a terrible person and I know I am a terrible person. And that's not, I'm not asking anyone to take these claims just on sort of personal reputation, but the argument stands for itself. Um, what we have in the womb is biologically human. Zygote has brand new DNA. And it's, it seems relatively uncontroversial that we should not intentionally take innocent human lives. And so look at that um, assortment of facts and see how you can come up with anything differently, whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. Um, and I'd also point out that Roe versus Wade was signed into um, or was passed by an all-male <laughs> uh, Supreme Court bench. And so there's, there's been a lot of male legislation for the pro-choice movement. Um, it, it's not, I think, I think at the bottom of the day, we can say that arguments are not gendered. We, we look at an argument and we assess its merits on the basis of its, its rationality and its logic and its coherence and its compellingness. And that's effectively what we're calling people to do. We're not saying don't listen to us. Um, we're not saying listen to us. We're saying don't listen to us. Just look at the arguments that are being presented. And for every one of us, a Paul and a Brian, there are, you know, dozens of other competent, qualified females making the same argument. So it's not like we're standing on any toes or doing anything um, out of bounds here. Well, it's like you talked about the March for Life was organized predominantly by women. And you also talk about, I mean, it's like, it is a stupid argument because if you just took a transcript of everything we said, all the arguments, and if we just brought two women to say them, do they suddenly become more true? Or, I mean, it's, 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 it's a ridiculous type of thing. And, uh, and also it's like, well, if you really care about testimonies, like there are testimonies of women who they had an unwanted pregnancy and they were like, man, it was tough, but they, 
they, they went through with it. They had the child, they raised it. Some of them were single moms. It was very difficult. They needed a lot of help, but they, you hear them, they go, I'm so glad that I had my baby. I'm so glad I didn't abort her or him. Right. So if you really, if you're serious, put your money where your mouth is, listen to the testimonies of women who are pro-life or who are single moms or who did make that, uh, that courageous choice to keep their child, that moral choice to keep their child and to make the sacrifice and listen to them, listen to them. I doubt you'll find them saying, I wish I would have aborted this child. No. How could they say that? And so it's like, yeah, all right. If you want to say you can't listen to a man, go listen to women who are pro-life. Um, but it, it, it and, and I don't think they will. I don't, I think it's, it's a sham. It's a, it's a smokescreen. You know, I think a lot of these are smoke screens. And again, I think if we're going to be, you know, if we're going to have be civilized discourse about this, it's like, okay, let's actually talk about things as let's, let's talk straight. You know what I mean? And not try to hide behind language. Language is so powerful. I just think about how today we don't talk about adultery. We talk about affairs, which sounds so much more tame. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just, it wasn't, it wasn't that this man broke his vows, tore apart a family, you know, and, you know, completely embarrassed, sinned against his wife, shattered the, the lives of his children or anything like that. It's an affair, mm -hmm. right? It, language is so powerful. And I think, you know, it's like, look, call murder, murder, mm -hmm. right? Call killing, killing. They're innocent human lives. They're innocent human lives. How we speak about things is important. And, uh, and I fear that, that sometimes we... We, we lose that. Um, I, I think, you know, as we think about this, one of the, one of the things that, that's kind of tied to this, again, is, you know, really pro-choice is pro-women. That, that's I think that's a powerful marketing connection. Pro-choice is pro-women, right? It's anti-male dominance and, 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 and uh, male sort of, what would you call it? Oppression. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's pro-women. And a, a way that ab abortion is pro-women is this. Women will resort to unsafe back alley abortions if abortion is made illegal. So you could even say, so sometimes Christians would say, I'm pro-life. I think abortions are terrible, but man, sometimes they're, in, I'd rather them get an abortion, you know, with a doctor who knows how to do it. And the woman is safe. Then if you shut down all of the abortion doctors and Planned Parenthood, women are just going to go to horrible lengths, uh, unsafe back alley abortions, do harm to themselves, and then you lose the baby and you lose the woman. So maybe it's the lesser of two evils if we just keep it legal and regulated, right? So that's sort of the logic there. Um, but that doesn't really work. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't work. And you could say a couple things there. The first is that one, Again, this doesn't take seriously the reality that the fetus is a human being. Um, and so you would never want to just say, well, imagine the analogy with slavery. Make sure that slavery is legal. Otherwise, there's going to be black markets and slaves will be sold sort of in back alleys, in you know, underground, un unsafe, unpoliced, unpatrolled areas. And you're going to have lots of life in that ways. Look at sort of blood diamond industry, imagine how that would look like if you deregulated slavery without government oversight. And once you put it in those terms, you go, no, that, that's ridiculous, right? That, that's, that's missing the entire point of the issue. Slavery is a horrible 
injustice. And so you can't you can't legitimize it and and sanction it and regulate it. Um, that that misses the entire point. Uh, but two, there's a lot of evidence that pro-life legislation actually does decrease abortions, and women don't go to um, uh, unsafe back alley resorts to do this. We see this even just in in Mississippi and Texas most recently with the heartbeat laws. Um, the number of abortions has drastically drastically uh, been reduced and women don't leave states uh, to go from state to state to do abortions. That's very rare. Um, and so pro-life legislation, anti-abortion legislation does have this positive effect that it is actually preventing um, abortions from being carried out. And I think, I think again, it's the issue of language. When you frame and when you phrase an abortion as the intentional taking of innocent human life, it now plug it back into the initial argument. Well, we want the government to regulate um, the intentional taking of innocent human lives. Otherwise, people will go about them through unsavory, illegal back alley routes and put themselves in more danger. Like that, it, that way so, is, is, is ridiculous. It, yeah, it's such a great point, and I think it's a good. That's a good practice. Like when you start to talk about this, if you're a Christian and you believe it's a human life, which I think that is a Christian belief, that an unborn child is a human being made in the image of God, then speak truthfully. And then insert into those sentences that truth. And you start to realize they fall apart. Right. But again, we've been conditioned to, we sort of say it as like we're supposed to be pro-life, but the actual reaction we don't have. And, and I, I love like the slavery analogy, I think is, is very appropriate because again, like you were saying, how did so many people, the 1800s, 1900s, or the, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, how did how were they just okay with slavery? How were Christians just there standing around while it's happening around them? How are they so desensitized? Right today, we, it's unthinkable. We're disgusted. We're, we we see the, the the pictures of these slaves with the scars on their back, and we we we're just overwhelmed with anger and grief. And it's just unthinkable that this could have happened. That people could do this to each other. That you could look at these people and, and treat them like they're animals. How can you do that? It's unthinkable. But you know what? It's actually not that unthinkable that that can happen because we do that today. Mm -hmm. And you go, well, no, don't. That's exactly what people back then said. Right. Right. That, that's how powerful it is. And so I, I, I think that apathy that we have is the same apathy that people had in Nazi Germany. It's the same apathy that people had with slavery. And nobody sits there and thinks that their that their moral compass is twisted like that. That's how subversive it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I would use the slave slave analogy. Think about it. If if you were talking again, like you said, we want to keep slavery legal so that people don't illegally trade slaves or something like that. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. They go, okay, well then, why does the abortion argument make sense? You go, well, because it's not the same thing. And it goes. Why is it, or it's not this, or, or it's not the same level of moral offense? And I go, why do you think that? Come on, you know, it's not that. Come on, you know, you know that abortion and slavery is not the same thing. It's like, well, why? Because, because, and I think underneath it all, underneath it all, is because we know they're not people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the dirty secret that many of us in the millennial generation have. 
is that we don't really, really act on a, on a visceral level, on an actual reactionary level. We don't actually think they're human beings. And that's because of the marketing. It's because of the language. And again, I speak as somebody who I'm like, wow, I, I don't, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's, it's not affecting my life. And it's, it's too controversial and it's going to make people think you're a fundamentalist and all these different things and all these things. And all of it obscures that this is a moral travesty. And I think about it. It's like if the Lord Jesus Christ came back today, he'd have a lot of questions for America about greed. I think the biggest question before all those would be, you're killing how many babies? What, ha- what has happened to you that you could be so barbaric? And the fact even now that saying those words and hearing them still feels like a stretch shows how conditioned we are. Because at the end of the day, is it true or is it not? Is it true or is it not? That will never, you can be annoyed by that question. You can be annoyed hearing that. It does not erase the truth of it. And as Christians, we're people of the truth. And, um, One, you know, I, I think I am, I, I, I am concerned that, Maybe abortion has become such a Christian issue that we roll our eyes at it. Like, we get it. Can we move on? Can we talk about something else? You know? And it's like, well, would you say that if it were slavery? I don't think you would. Mm. We like to think that when we think about slavery or when we think about Nazi Germany, we like to, when we hear the stories of the Underground Railroad, the abolitionists. Yeah, we love to think we'd be those people. Exactly. The, the Germans who were putting not just their businesses at risk, but their, their own lives and their families' lives, hiding Jews, transporting Jews across borders. Like We like to think that we'd be among those heroes. And I think a good litmus test for that is, how do we view abortion today? Are we the kind of person who's willing to undergo not just social ostracization or marginalization or uh, losing a sort of social stigma or social capital, but do we think we'd actually risk bodily harm and the lives of our families for protecting other human beings? And I think if we can't even um, handle social loss of loss of social status, right? A lot of us don't want to be openly pro-life because we know it comes with a stigma, right? That's not what the the elites are not pro-life. Um, celebrities, culture, academia, like everyone is sort of on this. Well, obviously, you have to be pro-women, and what that means is saying that a woman has a right to choose what to do with her body and and her fetus. And we don't want to rock that boat because we care so much about what people think of us. And if we care so much just even about social capital and reputation, what makes us think that we would be okay risking our lives and our families' lives to care about people? And I think that's just, it's, it's a, it's a harsh, but it's a necessary truth that a lot of us would have been onlookers in, in Nazi Germany. If we were Germans, a lot of us would have been onlookers if we lived in the U.S. while chattel slavery was a thing, we would not be the ones risking our lives in, on the Underground Railroad. And that's just, uh, it's a truth that's unsettling, but it's hopefully helpful um, to maybe get us off our, you know, I was going to use a our bad what? word. But. Yeah. yeah. Well, even <laughs> yeah. now I think about it, I'm like, you're like, no, I, we would be, we would help out the Underground Railroad, right? We We, we would be against the Nazi regime. It's like, okay, well then be pro-life, right? I mean, it, it, like 
that the same courage it'll take then is the same courage it's going to take now. And I, I feel convicted myself. I'm just like, man, you know, am I thinking enough, even just holistically thinking about like, am, am I, do I, do I care about the unborn the way that I should? Do I have the, the kind of moral revulsion that I should? Am I doing things to rehabilitate, you know, sort of my mind from the way that it's been sort of sanitized? And um, it, it's it's a difficult thing to talk about. I understand that it is a tense thing to talk about. But my question I always ask myself is, when Jesus says the world's going to hate you, when does that kick in? Like, is it just theoretical? When does that kick in? Right? You don't want them to hate you for because you're an idiot or you're mean or you're terrible. But at what point do we have to ask ourselves, isn't this supposed to be countercultural? Aren't we supposed to be against the ways of the world? And isn't this the most basic way we can do that? Why are we afraid to? Right? Because the truth is, to say we should care for the poor is not going to get you a lot of pushback. Maybe in some circles it was, but really, who's going to say that's bad? But, but to be pro-life, that is going to get you pushback. And one of the great things, one of the big things that Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees for was they did everything for the praise of man. And I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, is, is our, you know, humming and hawing and, you know, oh, I don't know about abortion. Is that just out of fear of man? You know, um, or are we willing to say like, no, like these are human beings and they deserve dignity and we need to protect them. And we can't stand by idly and act like nothing's happening because we've heard that story before. So are there any thoughts you have about, you know, we've talked about this. We've said some very strong things and most of our audience is Christian. But what would you say, like, how would we talk to people in a civilized way that wouldn't be polarizing? Like, we still want to be winsome. How can you talk about pro-life issues with people who disagree in a way that still shows respect, that isn't inflammatory, but still takes a strong, firm stance? What are some things that you have thought about with that regard? I think, I think a, a couple tips, and maybe we could even do a full episode on this, but um, removing it from its political context, I think is helpful. So not framing it as a conservative versus a liberal issue or a Republican versus a Democratic issue, but um, it once once you make it purely philosophical or moral or ethical, I think that that tends to diffuse a little bit of it because again, I think the, the way people think about this is more with their their gut and their they're picking up on these signals that are going to you know slot you into one camp or another. And if you if you say a certain buzzword, they're going to go, oh, okay, they're Republican, they you know free markets, they care about the poor, they care about people, or they whatever. Like they're just gonna, all all that sort of baggage is going to come along with there. Um, this is why, like, just just thinking about it in terms of, well, what what is an abortion? What is a fetus? And let's just look at that. And let let's be okay with removing all of the fancy papering language that we tend to want to use when talking about it. Don't use the term termination, right? It is it is the taking of an innocent human life. And what what do you think a fetus is, right? That, that's a good question. What do you think a fetus is? Well, it's just a clump of cells. Well. On some level, you're just a clump of cells too, right? You're a clump of cells that can talk and has a certain color and 
what uh, what's distinctive or what does the fetus lack? Oh, well, you know, does it lacks, uh, it's not self-aware. Well, so is a person in a coma. So are you when you sleep, right? Begin thinking along those. Um, and again, I think, I think this might actually be, we could, we could spend a whole podcast doing just ways to respond in this way. But um, I think the first step is even just going out and having those conversations. <laughs> I think that we're, a lot of us are afraid to do that or even broach the subject. Maybe because we don't feel adequate or we think it's going to be too, we're worried what people are going to think about us, but uh, making the effort, hearing people's stories, trying to get, maybe someone's never even had someone push back or ask them, why do they think that, right? It's just been so, that's just the default position you take if you're well-educated or academic. Um, and, you know, like you often say, putting that pebble in someone's shoe, like, huh, well, what, like, what is an abortion? What is if I've never thought about that. What, what if it's not as clear as I thought it was? Um, I tend to think that people just upon hearing a couple questions or reflecting on the issue for like a couple seconds more, they've never done that. And I think that's hugely helpful. I think like that would have been the that's case huge. with slavery as well. Like why that's right. people just didn't think about the issues. And so that's a healthy first step. Well, because again, it was a marketing thing. It just was far off removed over there. And I think it is a good thing to approach people and, and have some grace and be like, maybe they haven't thought about it. So you don't need to go attack them with, how could you do it? It's like, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And uh, I mean, I'm curious to think when you talk to your students, what are some responses that they have after they say, oh, I never thought about that? Or, or have there been positive responses to your questions, negative? What, what are some things that you've encountered? Almost always it's, I've never thought about that. And it's, it's, it is kind of shocking how confident people are in claims that they have never given more than two seconds thought to. And these, these people will come in super, super pro-choice, super, super confident that anyone who disagrees with them or believes in the pro-life position is not just an idiot, but totally reprehensible. And then the second you begin asking, well, what, what do you think a fetus is? Well, it's just a clump of cells, just part of a woman's body. It, no, it's not. It's the, the kidney has the mother's DNA. This fetus doesn't. Like, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, it lacks consciousness, right? Well, so does a person in a coma, right? Like, uh, so do you when you sleep. Oh wow, yeah, I, I never thought about that. I didn't know that, right? So that that itself is like a huge pebble in the shoe. That maybe that's all you need sometimes. And again, people just haven't thought about these issues. So I think broaching the issue with grace, but also just being willing to to be firm if you need to. And not everyone's maybe someone's going to have a really strong visceral reaction. And sometimes, if someone's had an abortion, it's really difficult to navigate those waters. Sure. And, those, you know, that that's more difficult, but, um, just being sensitivity involved. Those kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say when, you know, we talked to one of the arguments, it's like, look, let's not talk about the law and politics. Let's just try to win hearts. I'm like, all right, how's that going? And often you'll find out they're not really doing a lot of heart winning. <laughs> they're not even really talking about it at all. Right. You know, it's sort of just like, well, I don't like, you know, your method of evangelism is this, that's like, well, I, I think Moody, well, uh, D.L. Moody said, or I think it was him, he said, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Uh, you know, I hope that that us talking about this can give language to the Christian conscience to be able to articulate itself. Um, but also to realize, man, you know, when we're talking to people, a lot of times they haven't thought about it. And we can be somebody who graciously goes, have you thought about this? Or what do you mean by that? And really this isn't that complicated of an issue it's a politicized issue it's a controversial issue but it's not a complicated issue and uh, i think that you know 
God have mercy on us for letting this happen for so long. And I think we have to be humble and there's not, I don't know how much we can do in our generation, but I think it's worth being involved and thinking through and it, at the very least, not having the fear of speaking out against it. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to do a podcast. It doesn't mean that you have to post a million things on Facebook or Instagram, or whatever. But I think it does mean you need to have clarity, moral clarity in your own mind. And first begin with introspection and reflection on like, if this is true, why is my conscience not as burdened as it ought to be? Great conversation. Um, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we want to hear from you. So if you want to leave a comment, uh, you can leave a review on Apple iTunes. If you like the show, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also comment, follow us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you as well. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with some more content.